What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. Today's guest is Nathan East, and I am super excited about that. We're going to get to that in a minute, but I also just wanted to let you know, hey, I got a new album out this week. It's called The Golden Hour. It's an album that I did myself and Dave Koz as a collaboration. Now, some people think Wong and Koz, what's going on there? seems like kind of like one of those like sting and shaggy things where it's like why on earth are these people hanging out but the cool thing is dave and i have very complementary skill sets i'm a rhythm section guy dave's a melody guy of course i got melodies in me dave has rhythm stuff in him but it's really fun to collaborate with people that are really just focusing on one side or the other for the project and with dave it's been a really fun thing because he's As many of you know, probably know who Dave is. He's been around the industry for 30-plus years, and it's really fun for me to find somebody who can be kind of like a mentor and help guide and give wisdom into my music career. I really enjoy that from Dave. He's been really incredible with that. So if you haven't checked out the album, check it out wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, whatever. It's on all those. Now, today's guest... Nathan East is insane. I first got hip to him because he's in Clapton's band. And he's been in Clapton's band basically since, well, I think maybe before I was born. That's insane. Anyways, he started bass at 14. His first big gig was with Barry White. That's incredible. He has a music degree from UCSD. And he's played with Herbie Hancock, with Toto. Wayne Shorter, George Benson, Whitney Houston, George Harrison, Aretha Franklin, Dolly Parton, Satriani, Clapton, Daft Punk, B.B. King, Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Bill Collins, Genesis, Peter Gabriel. The list goes on. It's crazy. The credits that Nathan East has. It's staggering. Um, we get into some of that. And what I'm so curious about with Nathan East is... How you get hired back so many times for those things. He's got to have something that other cats don't. Because it's one thing to be hired. It's another to get hired back. So I asked him about that in this interview. I love that. He's got some great wisdom, great insight. And he's one of my favorite bass players in the world. So how about that? Let's get right to it. Nathan East. You guys hip to distro kid yet? It is the easiest, fastest, and cheapest way to get your music onto streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, pretty much anywhere else that people consume music. You can get an account starting at $19.99 per year. Per year, you get unlimited uploads and you keep 100% of your earnings. 100%. So for somebody like me, I I put out a lot of albums last year. It was still just one annual price no matter how many albums I have up, and I keep 100% of the earnings that come in. There's a lot of reasons I love DistroKid, but the ones I want to highlight here are the Teams feature. So basically, I can assign a percentage of royalties to go to any of my collaborators, however we work it out, or my managers work with their managers, and we work out you know whatever percentage split. My percentage goes to me, and then DistroKid gives the other percentage to the other collaborator or artist. It works amazing and neither one of us as artists needs to handle the accounting distro kid just does it for us set if you'd like to give them a try use my vip link 
to get 30% off your first year of DistroKid membership. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong. There it is. Let's get to the episode. Nathan, thank you so much for being with us. What a treat to have you on the show. It is great to be here. How you doing, Cor? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, I'm a rhythm section cat. I love playing in the rhythm section. That, to me, is my favorite type of guitar, being back by the drums and bass, just locking in as a unit. And you have played in some incredible rhythm sections. So I just want to jump right into some time feel things. Because a lot of the people that listen to my music and listen to this podcast are musicians themselves. And I love talking about time, feel, groove, that sort of thing. I want to get some insight from one of the absolute maestros yourself on, on a couple different types of rhythm sections and how you adjust to lock into different drummers. Great question. I guess, let's, I guess we can start by just a general... How do you lock in differently between different drummers? And then I'll bring up a couple different drummers, and I'm curious to see what you think are some nuances of specific drummers and how you can best lock into those drummers. Well, first of all, too, that's that's where the foundation starts, you know, the marriage between the bass player and the drummer. So uh, even as early on as, as the Barry White records that I used to do with Ed Green, um, yeah. I... I I had an early understanding and awareness of, of how important that relationship is. So to this day, that's, you know, that's who I lock in with, you know, first and foremost, I, I prioritize what, what's going on on the drum chair. So when you're locking in with a drummer like Bill Collins versus Steve Gadd, how are they similar and how are they different? Because you've played on the same gig with those two drummers, which are powerhouse drummers, but they, of course, approach things differently. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, an excellent question because both of those guys, like if you were to divide up a beat, you know, between front, middle, and back, and everything in between, each one of those guys has a different place where they put it, you know. Yeah, and uh, and those Steve Gadd and Phil Collins, especially, uh, I noticed that the backbeat gets laid back almost to to the last second, yeah. <laughs> you know, before. Or it almost appears like it'll be late, but you have to really get used to kind of where and and of course Phil is Phil is not kind of uh, coming with an any orthodox way of playing. It's just kind of his his uh, left-handed uh, English groove and feel, you know, and it it feels amazing. Yeah, I I really uh, enjoy playing with Phil, and of course Steve Gadd is you know speaks for himself. Yeah. Is there anything about Steve's playing that you have to adjust for playing differently than Phil's? You know, not necessarily. Steve, Steve, um, both of those guys have the ability to play sort of with elasticity where, where the, uh, mm. not necessarily just about time, you know? So, so you'll, you'll hear, you'll just hear a little bit of bending and, uh, the groove is, is shaped in, in a very personal way with those guys. So, so then you just requires that you listen a little harder. And if it's kind of leaning back a little bit, just, just lean back. You know? Yeah. And if, if going on the front side a little bit, you know, pay attention to that as well. Do you normally like to place your notes right on with the drummer a little bit behind a little ahead? We've had some bass players. There's different schools. I'm curious on your personal, where you like to place it. 
Yeah, as far as um, the, the bass, I, I either like to just listen and then just get right in the center of their downbeat um, and right on the one with them. But then sometimes I'll just listen and then I'll try to come up with a part that kind of dances around the drum part, mm. drum groove, like the off the offbeat of one. How do you do that without feeling like it loses foundation? Because I've heard a lot of people try to do that and it doesn't work. And then you hear times where it does work and it's hard to understand tangibly or objectively why sometimes it works or doesn't. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, it just depends on um, the choices and the instincts of the of the players. Because um, the first thing I do is just stop playing and listen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, I notice they just pick up the axe and then jump in there and start playing, you know, without really listening and and kind of figuring out where things are, where to put things. So so I just listen and take clues from what I'm hearing on on what to you know where to place that that beat. Yeah. It's it's a it's a fun study and it's something that I to this day that you know literally I just I just sit there and wait till um of course you have to wait till till God sends you the notes as well, you know, <laughs> and, t- and teaches tells you what to play in the background. I mean, but that that again comes from kind of listening and just being available. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Now you've also played in a bunch of different styles and <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, there is, I'm in the basement of my house right now and upstairs, Dave cause is up there hanging out, waiting for me to finish this interview. <laughs> and Dave well, says to say hi, by the way. Oh, that's incredible. Where, and then so where do you live? I'm in Minneapolis, but we did an album together and we're doing a live stream this weekend. Um, so we're hanging out, signing a bunch of merch and, uh, getting ready to do, uh, this live stream. So we have rehearsals starting tomorrow. Um, How'd the record come up? Amazing. It was great. A collaborative album, Dave Koz and Corey Wong. So it's both of our things combined. It's it's really fun. It's oh, really fantastic. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can't wait to, to rush out and get it. <laughs> well, we'll send you one. We'll send you one. Um, but I was I was asking Dave, we were just having some Chipotle for lunch. <laughs> and he, we were talking, he's like, oh, who are you interviewing this afternoon? I was like, Nathan East. He's like, oh my gosh. He was telling me all about you and how... I was like, well, is there anything in particular I should ask him about? And he mentioned your incredible ability to morph into different situations and bring a level of creativity, but also bring a level of just fitting in it and not standing out when you shouldn't. And and shouldn't is, of course, like a uh, that's we don't have to go there as far as like the. Um, well, should is is not always the right word. Like, should you do something? Eh, whatever. But the ability to play something really creative and interesting, but also play that foundational role, play the supportive role, which a lot of times us as rhythm section players are asked to do, and that's just our job. Is there a way that you approach that position differently when you're playing instrumental music, like with Dave, or when you're playing music with a vocalist, like Clapton or Aretha or Barry White or any of those types of people? Well, it's, it's all about choices. And when you have a musician in the room, you're, you're trusting all the choices to them and their life and anything that affects what they choose to play now. So if, if I'm coming in and playing and I'm trying to play from a standpoint of I want to get noticed or sort of the, <laughs> sort of the ego is, is leading the way, then 
you get a lot of you get a maybe a busier part and uh, mm. but most of the time I like I like to st- remain invisible and do a, a lot of times people will ask me to to kind of play more because I just like to really be sure. solid and and lay back and lay that real solid foundation so you know there's so much going on and especially when there's a vocal or or instrumentally I like to leave room for for whatever's going on around me and then I can react to that and uh, so it's a very again delicate line uh, that you, you use your instincts to kind of figure out where to play and where not to play and like Miles Davis used to say you know it's the it's the space between the notes that uh, that make the notes important yeah I love that now, what about when it's your own albums? How do you step out in a different way? Because you have some great albums as a solo artist, but also with the band. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I've been fortunate to play, you know, like Foreplay, for instance, with, with some of the finest musicians. You know, we, Bob James, Harvey Mason. We started with Lee Rittenauer on guitar. Then, of course, Larry Carlton and then Chuck Loeb. And um, every one of those configurations of the band was was magical and a lot of fun to play with. And before I did my solo solo albums, that that sort of was my solo career, you know, with yeah. those guys where you write and play uh, your own music, and it was instrumental. Um, and then, of course, with my solo albums, I'm using the bass as a lead instrument as well as a, a backing instrument. So yeah. I lay down tracks. I lay down the I lay down the bass part with the rhythm section, and and we just lay down the groove, and then I come back in and do my George Benson impersonation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you do a lot of cool vocal and bass doubling. I I remember as a kid seeing videos like, Whoa, check out this bass player. He sings and plays at the same time. Oh, too funny. Well, that's, that's funny when, you know, back in the day when, especially when George Benson, uh, you know, became popular and I was, I was in bands like, you know, everybody wanted to be George, incredible player, musician, singer, yeah. You know, so yeah, I end up uh, doing a lot of scatting as well. Yeah. Now, there's something about getting hired for a cool gig. There's a lot of people who have opportunities to get hired for one cool gig or a handful of cool gigs and, and great artists. You've managed to play with so many incredible players and bands which clearly is a testament, and get rehired. That, that to me is like the real testament when you get rehired for a gig. But you've played in so many situations. Herbie Hancock, Toto, Barry White, like you're saying. You know, everybody from Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Peter Gabriel, George Benson, and uh, Daft Punk. You know, we're not, I'm just trying to think of all these different things that I remember you from. And it's not just one style. It's not just one generation. What is it? Because there's so many people who listen to this podcast who are professional musicians or aspiring professional musicians. What is it that keeps you getting hired? And what is it that, what is the key to getting and keeping the gig? (laughs) (laughs) That's a big question. Well, I remember early on reading an article that uh, Quincy Jones wrote that um, anybody can get hired, but then to get the call back is really what lets you know if they liked what you did or not, you know? And, 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 and then he also spoke about bringing a great attitude to the session. And, and just, um, he said, I remember reading, he said, I would rather hire a musician that's not quite the player, but he comes in with a great attitude 
as opposed to hiring somebody that comes in as a diva mm. and uh, you know sort of doesn't doesn't gel with the rest of the guys because of that you know so I learned a lot just from reading that about um, you know I said well yeah you you want to get hired but yeah you want you want the call back as well yeah and so that's one of the things I I focused on you know you leave you leave your best performance in that room and when you walk out if you did your job well. Uh, the phone will ring again. So what is doing the job well to you then? Well, again, uh, like I said, you know, coming in with with a great spirit and, and energy and attitude is, I think, first and foremost, just, you know, filling a room with 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 love, which, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the people that I work with, they they understand that as well. You know, you mentioned Dave Cause. Here's a guy that, you know, just he walks in the room and it's just, it goes to another level, you know, yeah. because his energy is high and, and uh, spirit. And, you know, I don't think I've ever seen him on a down day ever, <laughs> you know, and I know you, you have to have them sometime. You know? Yeah. So uh, that that's first and foremost. And then next thing is just, again, the, the music that you're making and the choices that you make have to just really be good ones because there are a thousand people that could be sitting in that chair and, uh, you know, have the opportunity to play those same notes. So I, I just try to put so much love into every note mm-hmm. and the music becomes a reflection of, of your life and your heart and, and things that are going around, going on in your own life. And I feel very blessed with kind of a charmed life, you know, so that uh, that's one thing that's kind of given me an added advantage of just being able to, to bring some spirit into the room. Yeah. On the tactical level, on the actual mm-hmm. musical level, Walking into a gig where, you, let's say you're getting hired to play on a tour and the music already exists on album and you're being asked to come play the tour or whatever, like going to play for Toto or going to play with George Harrison or whatever, any, any of these people, the music already exists. People know the music. People love it. Yeah. When you learn the music and are going into that first rehearsal, are you going in typically with the mindset of I'm going to learn note for note the exact record or I'm going to learn the album kind of, but I'm going to do my own thing and interpretation of it? Or is it a combination? Sort of a combination. The gigs that I've played on too and the calls that I get were, were, have all been like music that I love. Al Jarreau, you know, Kenny Loggins, Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, Toto. You know, these are all my... Yeah. All my yeah. boys, you know, and <laughs> so I'm familiar with the music already. And but before I go into that first rehearsal, I make sure that I know exactly the starting point is the record or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe the last gig that they played and the, the arrangement. So I, I really become familiar with with every nuance of of what the song is, because you got to start with what was already there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, obviously, obviously, yeah. There's there's opportunities to to uh, insert your your own personal voice in there. And um, for some people, like Herbie Hancock, he likes it if it has nothing to do with the record. Sure. Like, sure. And then the next night, you know, change it from that. You know, so he's he's like completely the most open architecture type of artist I've ever worked with. It's just amazing in and of itself. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you have played on some absolutely legendary historical moments. I want to ask you about a handful of these and just kind of get your recollection of them, both on the musical and on the personal level. 
how you how you remember these and what these moments meant for you and what how, how they resonate with you now okay uh the first one being live aid with kenny loggins you mentioned kenny oh right oh man that was uh that was huge fun you know when you look out and there's two hundred fifty thousand people you know you get a rush that you don't get anywhere else any any other time because all of a sudden you find yourself just digging in harder yeah because you're you're trying to reach more souls you know and uh, when we did Live Aid, that was particularly, uh, it was a fun one. When we came off the stage, uh, Eric Clapton was off to the side and and he stood there and he said, oh man, nice one, man, let's hang out, you know? So <laughs> I, I just felt like this was a musical moment that was just so classic, you know? Yeah. Playing for that people and then having, having uh, you know, the guys standing off to the side of the stage checking you out and it was just, it was fun. It was, and it was kind of like him thinking this is why we do what we do. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned Clapton side stage and you've played with him a bunch, by the way, side note, my first ever interaction with you was when I was at the Rosedale mall in Minneapolis, uh, at oh, the, wow. at the Bose store, they were playing an, a live Eric Clapton. Uh, they had this Eric Clapton DVD. And I remember your energy from the stage being very magnetic. Um, your, the way that you talk about, even the way that you just mentioned with, with Kenny Loggins, we're trying to reach that many more souls. Right. And, and the way that you're talking about your spirit in the room, your energy, that translates so well. And that's interesting because I'm, I'm asking these questions, kind of assuming you're going to answer in some sort of musical sense, some sort of thing, but so much of your answers so far and so much what I've noticed about you is your energy and one of the things that makes you so magnetic as a musician, and I assume as a person as well, is just that positive life force, that energy, that your your awareness of, hey, we're trying to reach this many souls now. It's not just there's this many people that are going to think we're awesome. <laughs> it's like no, these these are there's this many people that we're trying to reach and touch and tell something to. First of all, thank you for that acknowledgement. I'm I'm getting kind of embarrassed here, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's. It's something that uh, I guess is a natural. It's a natural thing for me just to just try to give all, give my all, and and energy is such an important part. One of my favorite groups, and I don't know very many people on the planet who don't love the group Earth, Wind, and Fire. (laughs) You know, and Mm. talk about energy. When I was first picking up the bass, that I looked and I. I saw Verdine White on stage, you know, and he took his he took his shirt off, and he had a white bass, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went out, got a white Fender bass, and and the energy that those guys had in the spirit really touched me in a way that I feel like that was part of my uh, inspiration, you know, absorbing that energy at an early age, and and literally that to me was a template on how you how you go out and perform. You know? mm, I love that. And, uh, yeah, I so that. I, I, you know, Verdine White, he knows that uh, he's one of my biggest influence and heroes, and and you know, it's hard not to, it's hard not to try to be Verdine when you go out. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it's just energy, uh, just so magnetic and and uh, and it's just so joyful and 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 it's just a, there's a lot of spirit, which to me, music is is literally spirit. I mean, you can't you can't smell music or touch it or feel it, but it's the spirit of it. It just gets into you and penetrates the soul. Mm, I'm down with that. Yeah. Okay, there's another uh, historical musical moment 
that I want to ask your recollection of and, and how you think of it now. The Eric Clapton Unplugged album. What a legendary album and a live album to be that, like a live recording to be that iconic of an album. You know, and, and it, it, I think it was two and a half hours to make that album top to finish, you know? Wow. Yeah. Again, I think the emotion and spirit and especially, I, I know the song um, Tears in Heaven was, was one that connected with a lot of hearts mm -hmm. around the world. But again, the, the honesty, integrity, and the unpluggedness really opened your soul you know, to the point where there was nothing to hide behind. There was no plugging anything in. There was no, you, you know, it was what you see is what you get, you know. So it was pure, pure soul, pure spirit coming off the stage. And, and with somebody like Eric, who really, you know, you, in one note, you hear his heart. Yeah. You know? It was a, a lot of fun and connected with a lot of people. Did you notice anything different in his playing on that show than when you guys play the full electric, big live band thing? Yeah, just the, the intimacy. And I think, you know, with the nature of the acoustic guitar and then, you know, it's not like you pick the note and, and the, you know, it's this big stadium filler. It's, it's like, it's the opposite. You know, you have to play, I think, a little harder. And I noticed that I think he was just picking a little harder just to get those those notes out and heard. Mm. But I loved the approach and the concept at that point uh, was fairly new. I, there, I don't think there had been many unplugged records before that. Yeah, maybe Paul McCartney. I'm not sure of the timeline, but so it was a it was a novel occasion and and just fun to really. I mean, he said, well, "Okay, if it's going to be unplugged, we're, we're going to be unplugged." You know, so I, I'm not trying to have any. <laughs> you know, anything plugged in, in the, in the background. Yeah. Did you feel like you really needed to change your approach to playing aside from, Oh, I'm just going to play on an acoustic bass or a fretless acoustic. Right. Well, just, just listening and, and fitting into what, what you're hearing, you know, which is what you do every day anyway. But that particular record was just, it was so sort of, um, vulnerable to play mm. and and to have that you know when they say if you want uh if you want somebody to listen whisper you know so to have a quiet mm. to a quiet session like that where really you have to listen and it's not you know you can't overwhelm the situation with volume or power then it becomes very very intimate and i think that's what the, the nature of what um people were attracted to about that record yeah Okay, another iconic, historic musical moment. A big one for me, inspiring for me, as if these other ones weren't. <laughs> Daft Punk live at the Grammys. Now, if I remember correctly, it was Daft Punk, you, Niall Rogers on guitar. Right. And Omar Hakim on drums. Omar Hakim was on drums. Paul Jackson Jr. Paul was Jackson also on. Paul Jackson Jr. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. And a guy by the name of Stevie Wonder at the Keys. <laughs> you may, I've heard of him. You yeah, may, I've heard of him. <laughs> oh no, that was to me. That was that was kind of like ground zero for for music. You know, you here you are in the Staples Center. You look out in the audience and see Ringo, Paul McCartney, like two heroes right there. You know, Beyonce, and uh, they were all just out there grooving to the music, like dancing. And and then you're on stage with Stevie and Pharrell and. You know, it's kind of like, where else would you rather be <laughs> at that yeah. point in time? And it's it, it's a 
a performance for the Grammys. So, you know, it's being televised and the world is watching. So it was, it was just a lot of fun. Those situations can be notoriously chaotic as far as not a lot of time of changeover to get set up, get everything feeling comfortable and set. Did you feel like you were comfortable in that moment or did you feel like, all right, we've all had enough time trusting the process and just going for it? Or what was, what was that energy? Well, there, there are equal amounts of panic <laughs> and comfort. <laughs> <laughs> equal parts. And, and literally, because we, you know, we, we rehearsed in the afternoon and made sure everything, but then when the time actually comes, there's no telling what's going to go on. And then, you know, people are coming on and going off, but I was in, in the dressing room with Daft Punk, you know, they were just in there getting, you know, putting on the, putting on their outfits and everybody was just kind of really relaxed and just enjoying the moment. And, and, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, let's go out and have some fun. So that's, that's really what took over. We just, we just had fun with it. Were you super aware of them before you did the sessions for that album, for the Random Access Memories album? I had, I had some of their soundtracks uh, on my playlist and uh, they, uh, yeah, I was aware of them. And I was also, you know, just so impressed that they could, they could go do a concert for 45,000 people and then they could walk out with the audience afterwards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what they look like. Incredible. <laughs> When we were recording the record, I, I, um, you know, I was taking some pictures with the guys, and and then I was about to post them, and then it's, oh no 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 don't post nobody knows what we look like, you know? so, <laughs> so like saved by the bell, but I I was just about to send them out and uh, and say hey oh, here in the studio with Daft Punk and <laughs> Wait a minute, Nathan record. East in Rolling Stone magazine, <laughs> fresh article. Exposes the true identity of Daft Punk. Right. Just so just before I hit send, they 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 stopped me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. And that's Omar good. was on those, it was Omar and Niall on those sessions as well. Yeah, actually, um the uh some of the songs we recorded, like Get Lucky, we were in LA JR. Niall hadn't put his part on yet. Oh, okay. And so when the songs went back to New York. I think they got revamped, um, and that's when Niall added some parts. I think um, I think Omar Pharrell, and then when that came back to L.A., I heard what Niall did, and I said, "Can I have another? Can I have another go at it?" Oh, okay. So you you ended up changing your part after the other stuff was added. Oh, yeah. So once once I heard what the thing is, I, I said, "Hey, let, let me have another shot at it," and I I kind of did my Bernard Edwards impersonation, <laughs> chic, chic vibe, and and uh, but really just kind of played to, you know, what Niall was doing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was good fun. Yeah. Okay. There's one other historical musical moment. I guess it's a a heavier one than the other ones that I've discussed. There's no doubt it's a historical moment in our lifetime and uh, in the history of music, in the history of guitar. You played at Alpine Valley the night of Stevie Ray Vaughan's last show before his death. Oh, right. Yeah. Just outside of Chicago. Yeah. That was, um, that was probably the, the realization of what happened the next day. It was, it was definitely the darkest day of my life. You know, um, we, we did two nights at Alpine Valley. We had four helicopters to take us there from Chicago, which it, if, if you drove from Chicago, it's a two hour drive. Mm-hmm. You took the helicopter. It was about a, uh, maybe a 45 minute. So sure. you shaved off a lot of time by, 
uh, helicoptering in. So we had four helicopters the day before, flew in, uh, back, and then um, I had met a friend that's a pilot. I'm a pilot, private pilot. So he invited me to fly out with him the next day. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll fly back with you. Um, but I want to make sure, you know, just to get there with the band. So I flew out on the same helicopter. And then after the show, Greg Fillingains and I, I, I invited him to come with me to fly back. It was twin Cessna. So he, he jumped with me. They had a car waiting for us. As soon as the, the night was over, we went to the airport and flew back to Chicago. They had a, an airport right downtown Midway, uh, not Midway. It was, um, it was Meg's Field, I think, uh, right there in, uh, on the waterfront, on the lakefront. And then um, a few people, you know, the seats were available. So I think a few people like Stevie Ray Vaughan and one of the um, agents and a, a couple of other people took, took those seats. And um, I didn't find out until the next morning that, um, that the, the helicopter never made it. Mm. And uh, it was just, it was a, it was a dark day and, um, I had taken that same helicopter there and back and there, you know, so three rides in that, that one. And, um, you know, it just, uh, I, I started shaking, you know, at the realization that, wait a second, that was, that was my, that was my helicopter. You, know? you were supposed to be on that helicopter on the ride home? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had the, I had the pilot's card and it's oh. talking flying and, and, uh, yeah, it was one of those, um, it was a devastating day, you know, just to know. And, and, and I'll, I'll never forget uh, my, my parents trying to reach me. But uh, at that time, Eric's manager, he had all of our calls diverted to his room. Mm. Um, so when my parents called, you know, because people were showing up at the folks' house first thing in the morning and say, hey, we're sorry to hear about the guys, you know. And, sorry to hear what, you know. And, and the news had reported that half a Clapton's band had perished in the helicopter. So the, they couldn't get through to me at first. And so when I finally got, got a hold of them, you know, you could hear the, the sigh of relief, you know, because um, it was, it was, it was a pretty devastating day. And, and um, just to um, have played with Stevie Ray that night, we all jammed. And then, uh, you know, I think we took some pictures together. So uh, that was the last time we saw him alive. Mm. How do you play the next gig after something like that? Well, Eric um, met with everybody in the band and he said, um, <clears throat> what do you guys want to do? You want to, you want to go, go on or, or uh, if one person wants to stop, we stop. And uh, everybody said, let's keep going. Mm. That's what, that's what the guys would want us to do. I think we had four shows left. I think we flew to Kansas city or something, but we, we had, we had four shows and I remember just everybody looking, looking at each other and say, well, you know, let, let's keep doing, let's keep doing it. And we'll do it in, in honor of, of those that we lost. Yeah. As you play music, go through these historical music moments, musical moments, whether they be the incredible highs or the incredible lows, you gain life experience, you gain wisdom from them, you grow as a person. How do you take that growth as a person and translate that into growth as a musician as well? I feel like the the more I do this, the the more hours I have behind me, and and the more experience, um, I feel the responsibility of really taking care of this gift that we've been given. Mm. 
um, that gives us gives us this life. It gives us an opportunity to sort of penetrate the hearts of people that need it sometimes, you know, and music affects people in all kinds of ways. And, you know, we all have songs that we, we remember where we were when we first heard or songs when you were in, in love and, or when you had your first kiss or whatever, you know, and, or, you know, songs mean different things to different people over their lives. And so I think as I do it more, I just grow to realize the responsibility of that that gift that's been given and really try to channel what is ultimately meant to be, which, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out on a daily basis, but I, I try to open myself to, to what, you know, what I should be doing and what I should be playing. And then uh, again, to quote a Quincy Jones, he says, you love it when God walks in the room, you know, and, and if you're, if you're quiet enough, um, you can hear his whispers, you know. All right, all right. At the beginning of the episode, you heard me talking about DistroKid. I'm going to mention him again because it's worth it to me. I really think that if you are an artist, you should have an easy and comfortable way to upload your music and get it distributed to all the streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube Music, blah, 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 all that stuff. You should have a way to do that. DistroKid makes it really easy. And also, they don't take a percentage. They do not take a percentage of your royalties. That's amazing. All they do is charge a yearly fee. I love it. I use it. If you're making your own music and want to put it out there in the world, I would suggest using DistroKid. That's that. Easy as that. Let's get back to the interview. We've talked about a lot of different artists and incredible musicians, titans of personalities and musical talent. <laughs> and, and of course, yourself included in that. But with so many of these artists you've worked with, I'm just going to name a handful of them that we haven't brought up yet. I think I said Peter Gabriel's Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Celine Dion, B.B. King, Satriani, Kenny G, Aretha Franklin, Dolly Parton, Wayne Shorter, George Harrison, Whitney Houston, Benson, Toto, Herbie Hancock, like you mentioned. There's so many, so many insane <laughs> artists, right? Many of them are extremely driven and have an extreme level of vision for what they're doing. And that's not to say that all do, but all of those people are icons in what they do. Is there something, I ask this of of a lot of people who've who've played for these types of artists or, or are friends with them in this, is there something that they are listening for or paying attention to that other artists that haven't gone to icon status, are, are they paying attention to something that others aren't? You know, the more I, um, and, you know, when you name those names, it's just like, it sounds like, wow, <laughs> really, you know, and, and all it these. It is wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just kind of, I just kind of go to work and, and look forward. A lot of times I, I don't, uh, I don't really look back, but the other day I did get my date book out, you know, just for, for laughs. Um, I had dinner with Lee Rittenauer and we were, you know, it was 40 years ago, almost to the day that that we went to Japan together. And that was my first trip to Japan out of at least 80 trips. And so I just thought it'd be a fun exercise to get the, that get my uh, date book out from 1981. And, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I was, I, and I don't know how through moves and everything that I've managed to, I still have like all every date, 
you know, logged in these, these books, you know, and I have them in a place where I can get to them. And so wow. I, I was looking at in, and it's just so much fun to see, you know, Whitney Houston in there and, and, uh, Gene Page, you know, uh, dates that I was doing. And, and it was just, to me, it was really like, you know, the time capsule of going back and thinking here, this, you know, this young guy is just up there trying to, trying to establish a, you know, a place in, in the, in this career, in this thing called music. And it really is uh, fascinating to think that even those people that you mentioned, they all start somewhere in the same thing. And they, they're all, um, the humanity of everybody just comes out and it comes out in different ways, obviously, but the, those people and, and all of us that are, that are walking down that musical path, we're, we're just kind of doing it in real time, living in the moment. So the thing that I look for um, every day is is kind of like the clues that will help me not only continue to be able to do this, you know, forever, but um, to do it better and and to really live up to the responsibility to those that much has been given, <laughs> you know, much is is demanded. Yeah, uh, um, it's it's a constant quest for me, and and I. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy the the process uh, of going through it at the same time because, like you say, you get you get the highs and the lows, and you you mix those up, kind of like, and then uh, you know, like if you're mixing the coffee, you know, the color <laughs> gets neutral after a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Side note: you brought up your date book, Jason from Premier Guitar. He and I were talking about your session schedule, and I was thinking, we we were both saying. If Nathan East put out a book of his, just his calendar from the last 30 years, I would buy it <laughs> just oh, to see cool. this exact thing. Like Whitney session. Wow. Oh, going from there, the Dolly Parton session, the, wow. oh, George Harrison live thing in Japan. Oh, it's going to be cool. Make sure when you're in Japan, go check out this sushi place that somebody recommended. <laughs> you know, this Peter Gabriel session, like your date book from the last 30 years would be an incredible coffee table book. Take the idea. I'll only take 30%. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Deal. You know what? That's actually fun. I mean, the, the other thing that, you know, you, you see changes and, and, you know, people that are no longer with us and, you, you know, I look and say, oh, okay, we were rehearsing at this, you know, at SIR and, and which is no longer there. And yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a fun memory. I, I may uh, I may take you up on that idea. I love it. I guarantee you, you will sell over a thousand copies of that book. I think it would be <laughs> so intriguing, so incredible. There's so, like cats like you, Luke Thur. You know, there's a handful of people that have just played across so many different things. But you would definitely be in the top five people whose date books I would buy. Wow! And there should be somebody who makes a series of. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's it's a fun idea, and I think. Uh, it's just like I say, you don't ever stop to take the time to, <laughs> to, to kind of look back at those things. But the other day when I was going to meet up, I thought, okay, let me find out exactly the day. And it would be fun to know, like, yeah, we, we were in Japan together 40 years ago to the day. And yes, was- exactly. <laughs> or, like, or like to even see the stuff that was crossed off. Like, right, exactly. You know, um, this Ringo Starr thing, it's like, oh, it worked. And then... right. Uh, got crossed off. No, I know it's it's uh, and then you know with with people that you know you know like there were early on Gene Page really used me on a lot of lot of work you know so 
Mm-hmm. I, I remember even January 1, 1980, Hertz Rent-A-Car Jingle. And I wrote down all the people are Ray Parker Jr. was on the jingle. Whoa. <laughs> and James Whoa. Gadsden was on drums. Sonny Burke was on keyboards. <laughs> and and uh wow. Rittenauer was on the jingle. You know, like it's and I was just going, What are you kidding me? So it's it's just fun to to take a, a peek, a stroll down memory lane and and see those things. Yes, totally. You should just yeah give your date books if you still have the one from 1981. Come on, yeah, <laughs> just find some publisher, give them the stuff, give them the concept, and they will just make an incredible book. I'm sure oh, that's a, but, that is a fun idea. I mean, because it's it's just also it it's almost like you you're watching history develop. You know, yeah, and seeing the path that you took, and you know, because a lot of times you wonder how did the person get there, you know, and whether, whether it's music or sports or anything, you know, Agassiz didn't start out being the number one player, you know, but yeah, you know, he had to go up. So it's, it's fun to see those uh, um, and, and look back and maybe trace the steps and say, okay, this is, this, mm. this is a path. Yeah. And kind of see your journey. I think that would be a, a big part. I of like that, that idea. Okay, Corey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Now this this happens to me every once in a while, not out in public as much, but sometimes I'll I'll be listening to something and I'm like, oh, this is a cool song. Oh, wait a minute. That's me <laughs> on guitar. Like I played on that song. Every once in a while that'll happen. I I have not done nearly the amount of session work or jingle work or any movie work that you've done. Do you ever just sit and think, like, man, that groove's tight? And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I know why I like that time feel because it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. As a matter of fact, I, I got in good with my kids when we used to, I'd take them to school and um, get lucky would come on and then everybody would be dancing in the car. And, and uh, that made daddy cool because daddy was playing on the. <laughs> the other day, my daughter Sarah was playing me a song and she said, you know, this is one of my favorite songs. And it was this nice girl. It was an elder Bard song. And then, uh, turns out i said oh wait a second i'm playing on that song <laughs> it was a it was just you know at least 40 years ago when when we recorded it wow but um it was just i was impressed that my daughter loved the song you know and, and she didn't know who was playing on it so that's great yeah it's pretty cool now you've also played on a bunch of movies and soundtracks how do you approach that differently than playing on somebody's album yeah, that's a that's again, you know, where you have to dial in your precise chops and everything. Because normally there's a a committee, you know, probably a dozen people in the control room, <laughs> you know, uh, from the company and and from from all parts of a, uh, you know, the accountants in there and, <laughs> and the yeah. director and the producer and the writer and most recently um, the soundtrack for Soul we recorded we recorded that in January 2020. And it just won the Oscar for, uh, I think it was for uh, Best Soundtrack. Yeah, Best Soundtrack. I'm great friends with John Batiste. Oh, yeah, John's fantastic. That was our first time working together. And, and to spend a week over there at Capitol, um, yeah. and that was just exciting. I said, now I get it. Now I know his, his energy level is always Oh, he's up. incredible. And he's incredible and uh, wrote some brilliant music and then, you know, won the, won the Oscar. So, uh it was fun. Yeah, those those are always fun too because you're you're kind of making music again. It's it's more behind the scenes, but you still want to give it some give it some love. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a different, but in most of those situations that you're in now, of course, everybody gets called for different types of gigs, but on those sort of movies and soundtrack things, are you getting asked to play stuff where they give you exact note for note sheet music of what they want or is it chord changes or? Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of it's written out. And and with that, they sometimes want the personal interpretation, obviously as well. Sure. But yeah, it's it's fun to working with some of the the great film composers, and you get in there, and you're at this big, huge Sony soundstage or whatever, wherever we record those Warner Brothers or whatever, and the hundred musicians in the room, and yeah, and, you know, you do the take, and it, obviously you don't want to be the one to make a mistake that you'd have to do it again. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> reading shops have to be pretty pretty sharp, and just pretty much everything about the professional responsibilities of us as musicians is, is called on in, in those kind of sessions. Yeah. And those studios, some of those film studios are so cool. It's a totally different experience. Yeah. I, I recorded over at Skywalker Sound in, yeah. I think it's San Rafael. Yeah. Is that where that is? Yeah, I recorded up there. Insane facility. And just the room is so huge. I'm just so not used to that. Right. No, it's like you can fit a city in these places, you know, and, and I know, you know, then you hear it back and the, and they're playing it back in, in this beautiful side. I mean, it, it, it's incredible experience. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I want to shift gears and ask a little bit about your academy. You're teaching lessons. You're teaching, you got a little base school thing happening. Tell me a little bit about what the academy is and if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about your approach to instruction. What, how, what's, what's your method of, of getting people better at what they do? Yes, it's, it's artistworks.com. I've been over there for about 10 years, and they have a faculty of about 40 instructors, um, all different instruments from mandolin to guitar to keyboards, voice. And it's really a great school. Um, for those that want to learn, what you do is you re- you record yourself and, and they call it the video exchange program where you record yourself playing, you send it into the instructor and the instructor gives you feedback. And then we all do hundreds of, of lessons that are up on the site, the curriculum yeah. and start for the beginner, intermediate, advanced. And um, so there not only are there lots of great players over there, uh, Peter Erskine is the drum chair and Paul Gilbert guitar and Eric Marienthal's over there, saxophone and just a lot of great, great people. It's one of the ways that we're able to teach because I I get asked about teaching a lot um, and I just don't have the time uh, Mm -hmm. physically to take on students. But this way, you know, I have students from around the world that I'm able to keep in touch with. That's great. Yeah, it's it's a good program. Artistworks.com. Artistworks. All right, cool. Yeah. And you got your own set of in-ears too. I've never heard of somebody having a set of signature in-ears. <laughs> well, well, it was it was a first for the company as well. 64 Audio, I was at the NAMM show and I was trying out. And, and a lot of times we need to use in-ears at concerts just so to keep the monitor levels on stage down. Yeah. And, and there aren't that many that I've been impressed with that can handle the bass and drums especially. And I was, um, I tried these ones in, at the NAMM show and they really sounded good. And then I just said, would you be willing to, to work together and maybe come up with a, a set that I could be for my personal, you know, all the things. And so we, we spent about a year and a half 
nine drivers and really doing something that was kind of tailor-made to what what I would want to hear. Wow. And so they they came out with a signature version called the the Nates N8 <laughs> and uh I like that. Made by um 64 Audio. Can I get a version with your ears molded so when I try to put it in it <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, well, they, they're, they're great because once, uh, and, and I understand a lot of people from the gospel community use them and, and all of the Shaka Khan's band, they had them when I heard nice. them last time. Yeah, so, you know, they, they, it's, it's fun to come up with something that really works for the, for the working musician. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, before we close out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to holler at Dave and see if he wants to come down and say hi quick. Yes. <laughs> I know that's, that's so great that you guys are hanging out there. Yeah, it's great. Give me a second. I'm just going to yell at him quick. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Literally, I'm going to yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dave. <laughs> What's so, going on, my brother? Dave just weaseled him, what, himself into a guitar podcast. I like this. <laughs> I like it, too. So uh, the guitar has, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, they have uh, seven strings, right? And the bottom one is uh, the, uh, the G string. And then the top one is the A. I could see you're being facetious here, but seven string guitar. Now Dave's Dave's been playing in his uh, <laughs> in his his corn cover band. <laughs> his uh, seven string Ibanez. Oh, that's too funny. Actually, I've never owned a seven. Actually, no, that's a lie. I one time owned a seven string jazz guitar. Do I they liked, make seven string guitars? Really? They uh, do. They yes, do. they actually make eight string guitars. I'm going to get you wow. hip to this band called Meshuga. They use eight-string guitars. Do you know what Meshuga means? You know what Meshuga means. Yeah. What yeah, does Meshuga Betty. mean? <laughs> yeah, Meshuga is, uh, um, is like the Yiddish for crazy. Oh, okay. They're a Swedish... Uh, I don't want to say death metal because somebody's going to tell... They're not death metal. They're Swedish... Pancakes. Hold on. Jason's trying to chime in. Unmute yourself, Jason. Okay. They're a Swedish math metal band. <laughs> Ma- yes, you math need to know long metal. division in order to listen to Michelle. I've never even heard that term. Uh, Nate, uh, when I found out today, like I'm up there, I can't actually feel any my fingers or hands anymore because we've been signing all day today. And when he said, I'll, I'll be back, I'm going to do a little podcast. I said, who's the podcast with? And he said, Nathan East. I'm like, Nathan East! <laughs> Come on, my brother. Well, first of all, let's... Let's get a quick picture. I want to get a screenshot of us on there, okay? Smile, a cool. nice. And then like um, it's good to see you. While well, you guys are hanging out, I, I wish I just spoke with uh, Paul Peterson on the phone, so I feel like there's a connection to Minneapolis for me to. You did say you're a pilot. Why don't you just hop in your Cessna and <laughs> yeah, fly <come> over? <laughs> I know, man. Hours. How much fun would that be? I mean. Especially Minneapolis, I mean, has been in the news so much over the last year as yeah. well. And, and it's uh, nice. And um, uh, Corey worked on the, the weather for, for our uh, outdoor live stream. It's about 212 degrees here. <laughs> yeah, 100% oh, wow. humidity. <laughs> it's going to oh, be a toasty really? one on, on, uh, on Thursday. but it'll Wow, be fine. really? How are you, Nate? Man, hanging in, hanging tough. This is, this is so much fun. Hanging. And congratulations to you and Corey on your new project. And Thank I can't wait nice. to hear it. Really, really sweet. We got to send it to him. We had a lot of fun. And um, as I'm sure that you got into in, uh, before I came down here, this uh, is, I like to say, is like kind of the future of instrumental music. Wow. Oh, hey, man. Would you guys, uh, would you guys sign one for me? 
And, and absolutely. That would be incredible. And then just to uh, just to keep it real, though, I, I'm going to order it on Amazon and just make sure because I want to make sure I contribute to. Oh, your, oh you're you know. so sweet. No, absolutely. Thank you so much. And, um, we were also talking about um, a forming like a real fun band, and I hate to say, but you're in it. Hey, okay. Yeah, we, I don't know we if might you're busy. Need to start a band together. Well, thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> I know you got a couple of other things going on, but uh, no, you're in it. No. So um, no, you don't have to. The nice thing is, there's no audition. Audition. You know, you know, I auditioned for the Crusaders like. 45 years ago and and didn't get the gig and they sent me home with my tail between my legs you know like i i tried everything i went up there and and i didn't get it you know and and uh but the good news is they did when we became friends they went to record an album and i was in japan and they waited till i got home for, so i could record with them so oh, that wow. was kind of like the the flip side of, of a story that like i was gutted when when I didn't get the gig with them, you know. But I bet yeah. that they kicked themselves for not hiring you way back when. Well, you know, whatever. They, I think they didn't. Uh, I said, you know what? I don't think the bass player has been born that could play with this. Because they went through every single bass player in this town. I'm, I mean, everybody. And, and nobody got the gig. I think Wilton Felder ended up playing. <laughs> you know, just Oh, really? Stay, wow. Yeah. And he played great bass, by the way. I mean, that that's a guy that, I mean, I, I don't understand how he was able to do that switch from... From those two instruments, although I will say that if I played another instrument, and I'm not, I don't think I'll ever do it necessarily because it's just the bandwidth in my head. But if I could, I would play the bass. I've always wow. connected with the bass guitar. I just love the way it, it's the foundational music. instrument. You play great bass. I have try. you ever heard him play bass? I have not. I try. I try. Really great. You played on our record. I uh, did. I played on a couple tunes. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So you I hire put, myself. You to basically play bass. put me out of a gig. Thank you very much. <laughs> the price is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The price is right. I'm I'm still, you know, after a year of zooming, I'm still challenged. <laughs> like, there's all these all right. things that you can, uh, yeah. you can do. But thankfully, yeah. it looks like I mean, look at this. You guys are in the same room together, no masks and this, maxed up. Yeah. Does that mean yeah. like the pandemic is in the rearview mirror? And, Looks like we're getting we're getting towards that space. Yeah. We're getting towards that space. As uh, Minnesota has a maskless thing now, like you don't have to wear a mask anywhere. Uh, really? Which I think is coming if, to, to if California you either soon. if you have a vaccine or if you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> you can walk around without a mask if you're one of those two. You can walk around yeah. maskless. Yes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, I know the honor system, right? Are you vaccinated? Yeah, Thanks. it's been an it's been an interesting year to say the least. But I I do uh, think that I know Dave, you you uh, never let a pandemic go to waste. You know, you made you made two albums already, right? I mean, smart. I mean, it's uh, it's been. A, I would have never thought that that would be the case. And it's funny because I don't I don't usually make a lot of albums. You every couple or two three years or something like that. But in this pandemic, it was like there were these two albums that just came out really kind of a fun uh, way to be creative and yeah. um uh nathan played on the a new day and uh, i remember i was just because what because i knew you were talking i was thinking about that time when you he hosted on sirius xm a town hall for for my album a new day really and it, a town hall it sounds so formal <laughs> right but, <laughs> but that was on. so great like the warmest guy you can imagine right 
the musicianship aside, the musicianship is, you know, A1 has always been and always will be uh, the greatest of the greats. But um, there's that warmth, that ability to just kind of know and feel the music and understand mm. it and know the right questions to ask. I just love that so much. I remember that day so fun. You know, it, it was so much fun. And, and I got to uh, see your beautiful studio and place. And, and it was a really fun hang. But I, I have to say, the, the album's incredible as well. I mean, I love that record. And, you know, we've been making records for years. And I thought, man, the guy, you know, makes a record during a pandemic where, like, nobody could even show up and makes a fantastic album. You know, it was wonderful. And I'm that one was, yeah, really it was a fun, fun project. The one. And this, this one was really special, too, because it was recorded in September, right after Labor Day in 2020. And we were, that was kind of like in, in very intense. I stayed in downtown uh, Minneapolis for that uh, week when we were there for the week. And being here with the pandemic and also the protests and all the George Floyd uh, memorials and stuff like that, it was very, very intense. Um, but yeah, when the air in the city, yeah. But when you went into that studio, Creation, I think it was called, mm-hmm. um, we were masked up until the takes. We took our masks off for the takes and it was like, explosion of energy and joy because it was just music making pure music making without thinking about the heaviness around us yeah wow amazing so you were you were kind of like in ground zero for the news and everything that was going on in the energy and you were able to turn that into a turn that into a musical product that, yeah. that was six all blocks away yeah. really yeah it was right wow. it was right there wasn't it yeah yeah oh man i drove by one day yeah well, I guess that's, that's that's probably a memorial that, that everybody that comes to Minneapolis now will will go by and and check out, you know, just to just to see. Yeah. Talk sure. about talk about something that a worldwide situation, you know, like <laughs> everybody was the timing of that is everybody's at home, you know, and then everybody sees it at, at the same time. And then people are are marching the streets around the world. It's amazing. Right. It's initiated yeah. right there. Six blocks from where you guys are. Yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, there's, there's, there's a nice, um, it seems like this, this city is sort of, uh, becoming a little bit more lighter. I mean, it's beautiful weather. I was walking around, staying in downtown uh, St. Paul this time and the, the walking around the park this morning. It was, it was just beautiful. What are the things called that are floating in the air? The, uh, cottonwood. Cottonwood. I mean, it really feels like a quintessential summer. Nice. Plus, his yeah. kids just got out of the pool outside. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I love it there. Well, I'll check the flight schedule and see. Uh, maybe we could just uh, hop down and see you guys. <laughs> yeah, see see if there's some airspace available tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> right. why don't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, Paul Peterson's a pilot as well, private pilot. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, yeah. Just that that family is just too talented and gifted all around. You know. Yeah, they're great. Apparently, Love they, them. Yeah, have you guys done any research? Is there like one Peterson that's just like tone deaf? It's gotta be. <laughs> I don't know any. Not that particular family. Maybe there's a different spelling of Peterson. I that... mean, there's just gotta be one. <laughs> one ringer. Yeah. They're all great in their own unique way, too, which is really fun. Great people, too. So say hey to say hey to everybody. Of course, you know, and then you have the energy of Prince. Uh yeah. Which it, I guess it was the anniversary of yeah. leaving us not too long ago. I think it was, yeah. Yep, in April, and just a couple of days ago was his birthday. Ah, oh, unbelievable! Yeah. I mean, I still 
you know, every time I'm on YouTube or something, I run across his video and then that's it. The rest of the day, I'm <laughs> there I am watching. <laughs> yeah. Just unbelievably gifted. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to play with him? Never got a chance to play with him. He was on my bucket list and we were doing a foreplay record at Sunset Sound and he was in the next studio. So we kind of crossed each other's paths. But I, I thought, oh man, one day, but oh man. And, um, you know, because there was always that question too, they used to ask, uh, who's more talented, Prince or Michael Jackson? And uh, that's a tricky one, but but I just found a video and, and there's Prince playing bass and he was just killing them. I'm thinking, man, come on, really? You know, like he, to, yeah. play, to be that funky on bass, guitar. All of it. Was it the Batman soundtrack video? Was uh, it that one? No, no. This, slapping on a... No, this, I, I don't, I'm not even sure what this one was, but like he was killing the bass, you know? And then there's that famous quote from Eric Clapton where they said, how does it feel to be the world's greatest guitarist? And he says, you have to ask Prince, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, wow. I mean, yeah. Coming out of his mouth. I mean, Jeez. come on. Just bless his soul. Yeah. What do you think would uh would Clapton have to say about uh Corey Wong? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Both of you guys on the spot. <laughs> oh man, I, I I bet he would love him. I mean, Eric loves anything that from the heart, you know, and and really, you know, just just good music. It's it's amazing some of the things that he, he loves to listen to. And, and, uh, you know, we send each other songs sometimes back and forth or videos. And I sent him one of Curtis Mayfield and the guys. And then he said, he, he sent me one of, uh, Pat Metheny and the guys. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And it was this beautiful, um, beautiful performance of, of, of one of those, you know, long, uh, movements. And there was, um, you know, all the guys on stage and then, and it just was, it was beautiful. It's like t 12 minutes of just blissful chords. And I thought, wow, how could I, I, I didn't even know about this. And wow. uh, so, yeah, I, I imagine he'd really love you, what you do. Huh. How about that? We'll have to go play Crossroads someday. Okay. I want to play Crossroads yeah. Festival. That's on my bucket list. Yeah, that, that was, seems... and, and the first one, um, Pat actually did play. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Did he just play a straight up Pat Metheny set or did he alter the set at all? He played a straight up Pat Metheny set and it was killing, you know, 50,000 people out there. And uh, wow. Um, this particular tune had Richard Bona was singing too. And, and I think, I think Richard Bona played the first Crossroads as well, you know? And uh, so, yeah. How much fun would that be? Yeah. Can you take me on that gig, please? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll take you on it. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that I'm says crossroads guitar festival like a miniature saxophone <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you gotta have you gotta have a break from guitar for a minute i know hey i i am proud to say i love being a rhythm guitar player letting the rhythm guitar shine and sometimes you gotta have a tiny saxophone out front in order to shine as a rhythm player. But you have to understand that Corey, this is like a quintessential Corey Wong move, which is like, okay, well, I want to play saxophone. I'm a guitar player, but I want to play saxophone. So he takes up the hardest instrument of saxophones to, to play. I mean, this wow. is not the way you start. You start <laughs> with an alto. A curved soprano is the smallest one I could find. I figure it was the easiest. But small doesn't it's like It's like easy. starting on the ukulele. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's the inverse of that. It is the hardest part of the saxophone. This this instrument is a, is a bear. Oh, so. man. Well, 
you know, I was going to say, if, if, if anybody could get on a guitar festival that doesn't play guitar, it would be Dave Koz. Uh, <laughs> that is absolutely uh, true. That is absolutely true. You're funny, Nate. I'm ready. Come. Uh, yeah, come on. I'll even learn. I know one guitar chord. I'll play it in my show or my whatever I get a chance to, play, to do. It's an E69 sharp 11. So if you're going to know one chord on guitar, it's not a bad chord. Come on. Have I, ever, have I ever played it for you? You haven't. Okay. That's a good reason. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> that's that's a favorite key of guitars anyway. Yeah, we love E. <laughs> My brother taught it to me when I was like 14. Oh, so, uh, All right. Well, thank you so much, man. It's really a treat. Hopefully we'll uh, hang and play together in person sometime. Absolutely. And um, just have fun and um, go, go out and get some good food and make some people happy. All right. I like <laughs> that. Yeah, we will. All right, guys. Love you, buddy. All right. Lots thanks, man. See you soon. See you. Take care. Well, I guess I found the secret on how to get hired back. Just be a really cool and awesome hang and a really nice, positive person. Wow, that guy is really nice. Seems like a great, great cat to hang with and play with. All right, thanks so much for joining us today. This is fun. This is fun. Now, next week is the last episode of this season. Guess who our guest is? I haven't announced it yet. Joe Walsh. Oh, 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 oh. We got Walsh. Walsh is going to be on the show. It's a great interview. I already did it, to be honest. I did the interview already. It's done. I just have to wait a week to give it to you. Because that's how we do things. We have to put them out in an orderly fashion. So, we'll see you next week. Peace!